What's up, everybody? I want to welcome you back to the uh, Built Different podcast. Um, pleased to say we have our very first guest of all time, uh, uh, a man who I uh, really appreciate. Um, when I first started this journey, um, you know, I didn't know if I was insane or, you know, if what I was saying was making sense, but I, I had a, an idea. Um, I read his articles. I valued what he was, uh, what he said and what he thought. Um, and uh, yeah, he was the first person I ever talked to about this that gave me the validation that this could, you know, this could be a game changer. So um, I'm always appreciative to him. I, I consider him a friend. Um, I respect. I still his feel work that way, by the way. Yeah, I'm still. Feel I like appreciate that. Yeah, oh yeah, man. That's I appreciate that. Um, but you know, I just value your mindset. I've always valued your mindset and your thoughts on things. I love that you uh, you mix uh, you, the uh, science of human behavior into into your work. Um, I think that needs to be done more often. Um, you know, I've called you, you know, a unicorn because you kind of blend those two worlds together and, uh, you know, try and uh, build confidence in your fighters. So, you know, without, uh, with that being said, I appreciate uh, Paul Giovanni for hopping on this uh, call, being our first guest. Thank sure, you. brother. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me on. So, I yeah. Smell um, like clapping there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, you know, uh, You've met Sean before, obviously. Um, we talked um, when we were presenting some things to you. Um, mm -hmm. Justin, uh, you haven't met yet. He's a, uh, a BJJ practitioner. He used to uh, do, what was it, kickboxing or Muay Thai, uh, Justin? Uh, it was Muay Thai. I dabbled in a little bit here and there. But I'm I love Muay Thai. Yeah. Especially the clinch. That's my favorite. Yeah, I was never too good at Muay Thai, so I stick with Jiu-Jitsu now. <laughs> uh, well, if you're going to stick with one thing, I would stick with Jiu-Jitsu. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> And uh, also on, you know, kind of helping us produce a show, he's always on Raul Gamboa, one half of uh, Gore Media Marketing Guys, right, that uh, make all this possible, make it beautiful. So yeah, we're all uh, mixed martial arts fans on this call, and obviously we're building a product that we, uh, you mm -hmm. know, we want to use to change the game for mixed martial arts, for other sports, for the world in general. Um, but, you know, with that being said, you know, a lot of the ideas that I had, um, and I ran through you, um, you know, a lot of the uh, brain picking I did was from a lot of the articles you presented. So, um, you know, we kind of want to run through a lot of those questions uh, based on uh, a lot of the articles you wrote uh, back in the day and a lot of your philosophies. Um, so, uh, first of all, you know, um, for our audience that we're building, we wanted to introduce them to you and uh, we want to know a little bit more about you, what you do, your background, your passions, um, you know, your books. Uh, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Uh, sure, man. Uh, so I I actually am a behavior scientist, the science of human behavior, or applied behavior analysis. It's uh, the reason, you know, it explains uh, why we do what we do or why we don't do what we do. Um, and uh, it was based off of the work of B.F. Skinner. Um, who essentially said our behavior operate, operates on the environment. It's called operant behavior. So we we do things uh, in short to get something or get away from something. It doesn't necessarily mean it's, it's tangible things or socially mediated things, but it just means that there's always a reason. Behavior doesn't just happen willy-nilly for no reason. And so if you understand that, why behavior happens or why it doesn't and how to arrange the environment in a way, you can get the best out of people. Um, especially when it's through the use of positive reinforcement. Uh, if, you're if you're behaving 
if you're behaving, it's because your behavior is under contingency of, of some sort of reinforcement, either, again, added, something added, that's what positive means, or something subtracted, that's what negative means. And so I've used it to work with, uh, you know, children with disabilities and uh, my fighters. And of course, you know, I have multiple champions at all different levels, including the world champion. And uh, I also uh, use it to uh, work with uh, organizations and failing schools, organizational behavior management, um, and to, to help create an environment, again, that gets the best performance out of people and builds a positive culture. And that's what I'm all about. You know, I have a I have a dream that one day people are going to come to work and love it, like the same way people come to the mixed martial arts gym and they love it. And people aren't using coercion and uh, people are using the science to accelerate their own performance. They understand it. Um, there's also, a, you know, your your own thoughts are, uh, are behaviors, but they're just covert oh, yeah. behaviors that only you can observe um, and, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so um, I've taken that. My, my strength in the field, there's some really brilliant people in our field. Um, and you know, what I like is to take, I look at myself as like a interfield, um, interfield, uh, disseminator. So I take these things that are kind of complex or in sciencey language, and I break them down into easy to understand and palatable approaches. And, uh, there's people that can like get really deep with their analysis. And that's not me. I like to take the pra practical application of the science of human behavior and share it with people in a way that uh, where they can, again, use it to help themselves or use it to help others. So I, I've done that through a, a number of things, like including I've written five books. Um, one of them is a Wall Street Journal and USA Today bestseller. Um, there's a lot on leadership and, and coaching. Um, and, uh, you know, I have podcasts and all that stuff, man. And I love using it. And so I, I started when I came into the field, a lot of people were using the science to work with uh, people people with disabilities because there's a funding source behind it because they're caring people and they want to help people. Uh, and so uh, thankfully the science is there to help them. Uh, but I was surrounded with mentors and I was surrounded by a lot of people in the field. I was kind of a slacker. I thought um, I wasn't going to conferences and I wasn't reading research, but I'm in the gym training. I'm like, well, I'm not, you know, I, I kind of get the science of human behavior and I, I, I need to kind of start looking at what I'm doing through this behavioral lens and I did. And I did the same thing in the organizations I worked. I picked up a book and I, oh, I guess the science can be applied to organizations as well. And it mm. turns out people really weren't doing it in schools. And I use in the schools to turn around family schools that with with a team of people, of course, um, that others weren't able to turn around. Um, just because when you understand, you know, how behavior works and everybody thinks they understand how behavior works because people are behaving all the time, including yourself, you know, you, you tend to uh um, maybe engage in behaviors that uh, might not get the best behaviors out of yourself and uh, might not get the best behaviors out of other people because it's just a fundamental misunderstanding. So uh, my passion is sharing it with the world uh, and growing the science in that way so people are more likely to embrace it because a lot of people really misunderstand the science of human behavior. You know, they think, uh, you know, they think of all sorts of aversive stuff and, uh, um, just, you know, they, they think it's about punishment and, uh, it's not, you know, uh, they, they don't understand what punishment is and they don't understand what reinforcement is. They think reinforcement is all about just telling people they're doing a good job. And, uh, that's fundamentally that that might be a reinforcer might not be, it all depends on its impact on behavior. So they, they think about the science as behavior modification and behavior modification comes with this kind of, uh, um, stigma that, you know, people are using aversives and shock and making people do something and carrots and whips and all that kind of stuff, you know, 
Um, yeah. And really, we want people to have, uh, we want what, anything that we're doing to be socially valid. Like it's, it's helping people get in touch with meaningful outcomes for themselves. Um, so that's very important to us. And, um, you know, so I'm trying to put a more of a human side to the science and that, that's what I love doing. So, yeah, that's, uh, you kind of addressed one of my follow-up questions, which is how did you get into it? But, uh, how did you get in? What got you into mixed martial arts? And I remember you being the golden gloves, uh, boxing champion, what, what drew you to, uh, to combat sports? Well, um, you know, of course, I well, first of all, the Karate Kid, which is one of my favorite movies, that and Rocky, of course, you know, I yeah, love yeah. the Karate Kid. I still watch it. I still get all emotional at the end when Daniel's up there doing his thing, you know, <laughs> I just love it. I watch all the seasons. <laughs> um, but when I was I was I was bullied when I was a kid. And um, when I say I was bullied, I've had to reflect on this a bit because there are people that go to school every day and man, God bless them. They get incessantly bullied bad every day multiple times a day and these these kids are so courageous to show up and go in there it wasn't like that for me i came from a rough neighborhood there was a, a good friend of mine who was like very skinny and i would stick up for him and i would get beat up because the kids were all bigger moved in i got a knife held to my throat end up leaving that neighborhood moving to a new neighborhood the very new neighborhood i moved into the the neighborhood bully i don't know if he was just like i was just a nice kid i was a sweet kid and i had good parents and uh, he beat me up the first day. So I lived in fear of him. Uh, and um, I that next that same year, I was pushed the crosswalk to cross the street to go fishing with my, with my buddy. And a uh, car pulls up. A couple of guys hop out that were older than me, and they just punched me in the mouth for like no reason, man, because I because I made their car stop, you know. And so um, finally, when I was fourteen years old, I went to I went to a, my first house party. It was like five dudes, you know. And uh, three of them were like football players and they had been drinking and I didn't drink. And uh, one of the guys says, hit me in the stomach, you know, uh, and I, I, you know, I hit him in the stomach and not hard. And he goes, let me hit you in the stomach. And I've always been an athlete, you know, so he hit me in the stomach and I kind of chuckled, you know, like it was no big deal. And he like flipped out, you know, he was a big, huge guy. And he goes, I'm going to kill you. And, uh, you know, so I ran. I ran out the front door and I ran down the street. I think I was on my skateboard and I was going, I was knocking on the neighbor's door, like let me in, like running for my life. And after that, man, I, I felt like it just left this feeling of just, man, it was humiliating. This, this thought about running from somebody. And uh, I just felt like less than human. I felt so bad about myself. So the next time this one kid that, beat me up the first day the neighborhood bully beat me up you know on the first day on the block the next time he messed with me i just let him have it you know what i mean i thought to myself like and i'm not suggesting this is what other people do i'm just saying like how impactful bullying can be i thought mm -hmm. i'd rather die than allow somebody to make me feel as bad as i felt before um and so uh you know that was when i was 14 that was right around the time the karate kid came out um, so I could so much relate. And then when I moved up to, uh, I moved down to Fort Lauderdale and I was, uh, went to a club, uh, and my friend, uh, one of my best friends, Chris Frick was, um, he's six foot seven <laughs> and, uh, they were having these Monday night fights, like tough man fights. And he got in there and fought and a uh, huge crowd. And he, he ended up taking a beating. Um, but in that, at that time in my life, my girlfriend had dumped me and I was in a really bad, dark place. <laughs> And uh, I'd been lifting weights, so I was kind of stocky, and I lived in a rough neighborhood, and there was this guy across the street named Tyrone. He kind of looked like Vander Holyfield. They said, you know, <laughs> hey, why don't you guys go up there and fight? And I'm like, F 
fuck it. You know what I mean? Let's go. You know, I was just in a bad way. And uh, a friend of mine boxed a little bit and he showed me how to throw a jab. I remember being in the, this other guy's backyard and they had a bag hanging from like, we're in the middle of the hood, man, you know? And I was hitting the bag with the jab and I didn't know much, probably throwing a right hand. Like I was, you know, throwing a, a baseball, like a purse, you know? And yeah. so we got up there and fought and uh, Tyrone was throwing these massive hooks at me. Uh, but it was just basic physics. His hooks were falling about that much short of nailing me. And my jab, because I have like gorilla arms, was nailing him every time. After about the first round, I was like exhausted, but he was more exhausted than me. And so, uh, you know, I kept tapping him up with the jab and like, you know, we got all done. I won. Uh, he thanked me for not knocking him out. But in my mind, I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. No problem, man. We're buddies. You know, but really, I was just exhausted. And, uh, the, you know, I can explain this behaviorally. So I feel bad about myself. You know, it doesn't matter that I'm a kind guy and intelligent guy and trying to, you know, do, you know, the right thing. Um, it seems like our society, especially where we, you know, maybe in the world, but it seems like people really, uh, from the peasants to the king, uh, they really respect the lover and the fighter. And I just got so much reinforcement from the people. Like, I want to be my friend, shaking my hands. And for somebody who's like, suffering from low self-esteem for whatever reason you know it was just intoxicating and there's got to be something that really drives you to get into like boxing because it's a brutal sport it's brutal because you go in there every day and you take a beating which i did i walked through the gym on the first day and i took a beating from a professional fighter he broke my nose i just got it fixed two and a half years ago i mean bleeding and every day i'd come back picking blood boogers out of my nose like taking a beating because it felt so good for myself, you know what I mean? And for I could walk in anywhere and feel like I can be the nicest guy I want to be, you know? I could be kind, I can shed a tear if I want to, but nobody's going to fuck with me, uh, you know, because I know how to fight. And I don't think the world should be that way, but it is. And so, uh, you know, then I went on to continue fighting and I, um, you know, moved. Uh, I, my last fight actually fought, I won the Golden Gloves in 98. I came out of retirement to fight in one of the tough bands, like the National Tough Man fight. Um, it was at the Tico arena and I write about it in one of my books. I won't tell you how it turned out, uh, but it's in my, uh, the five scientific laws of life and leadership. Um, but I, I write about, you know, what happened, uh, cause I did get dropped. It's the first time I've ever been dropped. Um, I was the smallest guy in the tournament. The guy that dropped me was 285 pounds and I was only 200 pounds. So you have to tune in to see how that turned out. Um, and then I moved over to mixed martial arts. I thought, you know what, getting hit in the head by, you know, guys that are almost 300 pounds. Isn't like that great of a thing to do. And uh, I found mixed martial arts to be safer, believe it or not, than boxing because you're not just getting hit in the head constantly. You know, it's like physical chess. And I'm not saying that it's not <laughs> hard on the body, you know. Um, so I moved over to that and I ended up getting hurt, but not brain hurt. Um, you know, tore my ACL, you know, broke some bones, collarbone, um, just all sorts of stuff, man. So that was like my, I came home one day, but after broken collarbone, my wife was just in tears crying because in her mind, like, I mean, I almost broke my neck. Um, and that was it. I hung up, yeah. you know, my aspirations to, you know, fight anymore. And I still trained, but I, I, I slowly shifted into releasing my, you know, my, my dreams of being an athlete, you know, uh, to being a coach. And, uh, you know, that that's how the transition went. And of course, I've been all over the world coaching. It's been a it's been good to me for somebody who's just been a part time coach. I've done, you know, very well. And I, and I attribute that to the science. No, that's amazing. Um, yeah, I think, you know, throughout all of our conversations, I, I never um, found out, uh, you know, what got you into it. But it's, you know, 
a lot of guys' stories are, you know, uh, you know, being bullied or having to find that outlet. But, you know, the beautiful thing, you didn't run anymore. That's, that's the greatest thing. You know, you never had to look back and um, never never running anymore from anybody. No, so, um, no, yeah, no, it does feel good. And on there. <laughs> yeah, there's none of that. Mm -mm. So, yeah, um, you know, what we wanted to transition now was getting more into, you know, um, you know, how you applied the science to uh, and your thought process on, on uh, you know, things from weight cutting to, uh, you know, training, uh, tra how you train the fighters, how you build their confidence and things like that. So um, I want to go and pass that on to uh, to uh, Justin. Did you want to kind of, you know, ask Paul about some of the uh, questions about weight cutting? Right. Yeah, so. please call me Paulie, fellas. My friends call me Paulie. Paulie. Okay. Yeah. All right. So Paulie, yeah. So uh, Ricky sent me some of your articles and I was reading them and I was I was fascinated by everything that you mentioned just because as a fan of the sport, I don't really see like the the analytical side of it or like the human behavior side of it. So it was very interesting to read. And um one thing that you mentioned in one of your articles is uh you were talking about weight cutting and how that's uh like the quality of a fighter's weight camp is the largest predictor of a fighter's performance. And of course, a weight cut is is part of that pre-fight sort of process. So can yeah. you kind of talk about like how, in your experience, how have you seen weight cuts uh, affect a fighter's performance in training camp and during fight night in terms of like uh, like durability or endurance, conditioning, things like yeah. that, like performance factors? How has weight, cut, weight cutting affected that in fighters you've trained? Well, I mean, so a bit the standard is about you cutting five to eight percent of your weight uh, can be OK. You know, when we talk about weight cut, what we're really talking about is like dehydrating your body. Uh, you know, the the the, the old school mentality and there, there's some merit to it is that, you know, you need to be the biggest guy in the smallest weight class. Um, but that can have issues. So I have an extreme example and it happened to be one of my fighters. And it was a scary thing, man, because people died cutting weight. I mean, you are dehydrating your body and like these guys would be in the sauna and uh, there's, they, they won't even sweat anymore because they've, they just, they've gotten every ounce of water out of their body. And so um, one of my uh, good friends, uh, great friends, one of the best guys I know, uh, UFC fighter, he was ranked number two in the world at one point, beat Demetrius Johnson, uh, Brad one punch picket, just a man, just a great individual. So um he did a stint. He fought at 135, and he did a stint where he dropped down to 125. Now, he was already shredded at 135, and he was walking around at about 155. Um, and so uh, he decided to, to to try to get down there because they were having the Ultimate Fighter show, and Demetrius Johnson was going to be there, and he was one. Of, he was the only fighter at the time to ever beat Demetrius. And he thought, well, let me jump down to 125. If I beat this guy and do well, I can get on the show. And so it was a calculated risk. Um, so the entire camp. He was in a terrible mood. I mean, he was like eating like birds, you know, like just uh, he he was a you know, he trained so hard, but his performance was suffering because he wasn't getting enough nutrients in him, right? And when you if your performance suffers in camp, well, then that's going to have a negative impact on your mentality, right? Because you're going to be like, I'm not performing well, so that hurts your self efficacy. Um, and at one point, we actually I brought him down to Florida Atlantic University just to check what his fat percentage was, and like uh, it was like it. You know, and we were still, I don't know, he was 143 pounds or something like that. And we were at like 5.8% body fat or something like that. And he was just shredded. There was no, no, nothing left to take. And so if you can imagine, we show up uh, to make the cut and uh, 
it's just brutal it's in the in the sauna out of the sauna you know putting them under towel sweating back in back out getting every ounce and like when we're done making a cut but I mean, i'm like almost having like to push him up i remember like going upstairs and having to because he's just physically exhausted and so he made weight uh because he's a professional and in the fight uh it was like these guys that are at this lower weight they're like birds you know what i mean they're 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 meant their bones are meant to be that light so brad was just a step slower you know so being the bigger guy in the smaller weight class worked against them because the speed was just at a different level and he was never that speedy to begin with um and so it ended up hurting us uh, because he was just getting hit with punches that he wasn't used to seeing the speed. So, um, you know, it just has it just, you know, a five to eight uh, percent from whatever your normal walk around is, you know. So like if so let's say it's a week out where you have your camp, whatever your weight is there, then you can start, you know, making making that cut. And, uh, you know, there's we, there's a, a process for it. like in it comes from bodybuilding where you water load. So. You put a lot of water in your body, so your body says, "I don't need all this water," and it starts to expel it, and uh, you know, and then you you end up you know tricking your body to get rid of all the water. Uh, you sweat out the rest on uh, weigh-in day, and that's the deal, you know. But the weight cut is is uh, very um, you know it, it can be a very dangerous thing, and like you know, champions are made in the right weight class, and uh, you know that was proof of that was with Brad dropping down. That just was not the right weight class for him. And then so like you kind of touched on this a little bit uh, in your answer just now, but like like the mental impact of cutting weight too. You said that it can affect like a fighter's mood in training camp. It can affect their confidence, you said. Can you talk a little bit more about like the mental side of it? Yeah, big time, man. So we really when we're talking about confidence, we're talking about self-efficacy and that's your belief and your ability to, you know, accomplish a task. Um, and this is like really important because the more you believe, the more likely that you will be to achieve those outcomes. And the belief is not built, you know, uh, just by saying believe it's built from, you know, it is built from feedback, right? We would call these antecedents in the, in our field. They're, they're, they're meant to get behavior going, right? So people are telling you you're doing great, doing job, doing a great job, right? You're also observing other people doing it. You're like, all right, that guy can do it. I can do it. Right. Uh, but the, the most important thing is getting uh, having mastery experiences, in other words, being successful, right? And the more you're successful incrementally towards some sort of goal uh, and achieving some sort of task, the more likely you, you will be to engage in that task. So there's that piece of it. And so if, when you are, uh, if you're performing and you're step behind in your camp, you're sparring and you're, I mean, you know, we're sparring with the, the greatest fighters in the world, uh, you know, and so if you're a step behind, you're getting hit more. You're getting taken down more. You're getting submitted more. Uh, and that's going to have an impact on your self-efficacy in, in whatever area that it is, whether it be your defense or your offense, your grappling, your striking. And, of course, now if that plants that seed of doubt, um, now you're going into the fight and, like, you can't – your responses need to be automatic. If there's a seed of doubt and there's that little bit of a delay – that's the difference, man, you know, of, you know, winning and losing, getting hit, getting not hit. And so your camp becomes extremely, extremely important. It's a huge predictor of your success in the fight, you know, and of course at the, at the elite levels that, you know, are my guys are fighting at, um, you know, there's very, very little room for error. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Mental side of it's a big, very big part of the training camp. It really is, um, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the mental side uh, needs to be trained. 
um, and there's different ways to do it, like, you know, using videos, um, you know, so you can observe yourself and having a target skill that you're looking at. And um, I actually have uh, some of my fighters collecting data on themselves. And, um, you know, there, everybody, anybody can tell a fighter what to do, right? So training is about skill acquisition, gi giving them the skills to do what they need to do. Coaching is about supporting the transference of those skills into the natural environment. So I can show you what to do and you can drill it, right, Justin? Um, but now I got to get you to perform it in the actual fight. And so we connect the actual fight to the training in your like grappling, like your sparring, right? And your roles with people. And so we need to set up conditions where if it's a new skill, for example, it's like, it's like growing up a baby skill. So you need to grow up and send them out in the real world to, you know, be successful in their job, but you got to get it there. Right. And so if I teach you, let's say to slip a punch, uh, or do an arm bar, right. Um, and I put you in there with somebody who's like a, a black belt. Now, I'm not saying there's no reason to go with a black belt, but you're never going to have the opportunity to engage in repetitions to do that. So your self-efficacy is going to be very low there. You know, you might not even tempt it um, right. because you're not going to waste the energy because you're just going to want to defend. But if I put you in a situation where it's somebody who's, you know, um, you know, relatively close to your skills or maybe a little bit less than your skill because it's a new skill for you. And I say the only thing you can do, Justin, is do an arm bar, right? You can defend this. And now it's putting you in a situation where you have to set up that arm bar so that you get high repetition in trying to perform the arm bar. And now as a coach, I can ask you some questions to give you some prompt and get you to engage in the right behavior. So now you successfully complete that arm bar. And once you do, that's getting you in touch and reinforcement. And the more you do it, the more your self-efficacy builds and the more likely you are to create this habit because you're getting in touch with reinforcement. And the more that it becomes habitual, the more likely you will be to perform in the fight because when you're under very stressful conditions, you're going to fall back on the old habits. And this is why a lot of people learn something new, you know, but they're not going to do it in the fight because it just has to be a habit. It needs to be automatic. You can't be thinking about something. You're going to perform on these, these core habits. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's, it's confidence is like a skill. Like you have to train it up. It's, you have to make it become like second nature for you. That's right. And the coach, I look, it's up to the coach to arrange the environment to build that confidence. Right. And you have to build it with a skill. It's each skill. You can't look at winning. You need to look at the skill. Maybe you lost that fight within the arm bar. You got submitted, but maybe you put up, you attempted three arm bars, you know, and that's great, you know, because before you were only attempting one and then, you know, maybe you finally get the arm bar, right? So it's like looking at these accomplishments, even putting yourself in a position where you got the arm bar would be a big thing, right? So you really have to look at accomplishments that are leading, right? These leading indicators, they need to be like these metrics that show you that you're moving in the right direction. And those metrics can then serve as a reinforcer for you. Like, oh, I'm getting a little bit better. I'm getting a little bit better. Even though I'm not winning, it's not about winning. It's about performing. And if we perform well, the outcome will be winning. Right. It's like baby steps, essentially. That's exactly right. Right. Um, oh, Ricky, I think you have the next question. Yeah. So um, going back to weight cuts again, uh, Paulie, uh, what do you think? Because, you know, these these penalties now, UFC 25%, um, you know, other organizations have different structures. But what do you think the uh, the penalties should be, you know, especially seeing, you know, given the circumstance that you just presented with, you know, Brad had to work his ass off to get down to 125. Um, what do you think the penalty should be for fighters that do miss weight? What, what should be the consequence? Yeah, I think I think the opponent should have like a choice. And I think it should be I think there definitely should be a financial consequence uh, to it. Um, and I think 
probably like through in an organization, there also should be like a, a consequence to them if there's a pattern of it because stuff happens. You know what I mean? People get sick and this and that, you know, that you just never know. Sometimes people's body just shut down, even though they've been out of good camp and that weight cut and they were on weight and everything's going well, their body responded poorly. Uh, but I do think that if it happens, there should be a, 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 a nice chunk of their money goes to the opponent not the commission to the opponent right because and they have a choice whether they can take the fight or not um i i think that might be one way now i'm sure there's some uh pros and cons to doing that uh but it's it's not professional but things do happen and i think it needs to be within a limit because maybe somebody says oh, you know what that's i'll give away half my purse you know it's great to not have to cut that five pounds you know i mean like a reasonable you know miss of the way you know within you know a pound or you know maybe two pounds and maybe it's like you know maybe there's a percentage you know the 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 more percentage you're off the more the purse that gets taken out so there's probably some systematic way to uh approach that i mean there's a lot the science can do like with with not just you know that because that becomes an aversive and people want to avoid that aversive and they know it's very predictable except and also the the, the opponent can turn down the fight i think that should be something for them so there's got to be some sort of contingencies for it um i think by the way the science you didn't ask me this question but I, I think the science could really help in fights by scoring them by the way so you have uh you have five minute rounds especially in mixed martial arts five minutes is a long time to judge right and people have a bias towards the end of the rounds it's what they have short memories yeah. so it'd be it would be so simple to just break these up into you know intervals you know i mean like imagine having a button in your hand and you get a little buzz and it says you know you, you know who won that round? You know, who run that 30 seconds, this opponent or that opponent, right? So mm -hmm. it's every 30 seconds, it judges that and you can put it. And if like, maybe it like they majorly won the round, maybe you hit it twice. There's a way to do that, you know? So you're scoring it by the intervals and that's going to also, I think, improve the action rather than waiting to the end of the round. It's going to take out like a lot of like bias because you got to score it, you know? And I think also probably it should be transparent you know, so that gets rid of any crookedness. Uh, so what? You, hey, let the let. How exciting would it be if I know I'm really down, and the coach says they're looking at the score, and like you're down. It happens in jujitsu all the time. You can see your points, yeah. right? You know how many points you are. So why not put that metric out so a fighter can rally? Say I'm really down. I need to come out and try to knock this guy out. I think it would only be good for the sport, and with technology, they can completely do that. You know, just score it, break it, break it down to intervals, shorter intervals, thirty seconds. Mm -hmm. Who won that 30 seconds? Doesn't that make simple sense? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, yeah. yeah, they, um, I know Texas, the boxing commission, I think they give you the score after a certain amount of rounds, so you kind of know where you're at, but that's the only state that I've heard. That yeah, and why do that? Like and by that. the way, your metrics could totally be a game changer, right? You know, yeah. these in the right spot, you would learn how people landed, the, and how, mm -hmm. how hard they're landing, you know, how many times they're being hit. We could totally yeah. put this in that where it's unbiased, you know what I mean? Or have that be weighted, right? So this is heavily weighted and somebody else is scoring ring generalship or something like that. So mm -hmm. there's a way to uh, that it could, you know, you could have a really scientific approach to uh, to boxing that could, you know, or mixed martial arts that could revolutionize things, especially the way that with your wearable technology, you know, so they can, it can, you know, measure impact as well. That would be huge. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, uh, we want to, you know, that's where we value the conversations with you because, um, you know, we have a lot of ideas and, um, you know, obviously we ran, I've ran quite a few by you, but yeah, 
Um, you know, definitely uh, have another podcast on that where we can kind of talk about those in, in more depth as well. Um, so I want to pass it off to Sean. I know he had some questions for you also. Sure. Um, yeah, my question was kind of uh, still on the weight cutting idea, but more on like stress and like stress, obviously, in moderation. Fine. Everyone's stress. Everyone has stress in their life. Um, but an excess of it, just like anything else, can be problematic. And I know um, in one of your articles, you were talking about how weight cutting can be an additional form of stress, especially if done incorrectly. Is there any way that you like have seen that or are able to quantify that? Like when you've been training fighters during a camp? You mean quantify stress? Yeah. Well, so um, I don't know if you guys had uh, written this article. It's one of the last ones I think I wrote. It was called ACT. Uh, acting to overcome uh, anxiety, fear and anxiety. It's been a while since I've written some of those articles, right? So there's a scientific approach to um, to addressing your fears and anxiety called uh, acceptance commitment training or acceptance commitment therapy. And you think about it as the science of mindfulness, right? I want you to imagine like we have like right now we have five boxes, but imagine the four boxes in front of us, right? We have these visuals, four boxes. And the bottom right-hand box are your values, like who and what's important to you, a way of being and doing, you know, like, you know, uh, winning is a value, being kind, respectful, you know, performing well, right? There's these things that are auto, what we call automatic reinforcers. Now, in the bottom left-hand corner uh, are all these thoughts and feelings and bodily sensations that show up that only we can see, right? Those are covert behaviors. Only we are aware of what's going on inside of our body. Now, the problem is sometimes when we feel a certain way, we engage in behaviors, right? These overt behaviors that lead us away and make us that, that help us to feel better, right? It's why people drink. That's why they do drugs. It's why when they get pissed off at their spouse, they yell, although they value having a good relationship, right? And so we do that because of the relief it provides us. It feels good to not have fear. It feels good to not have anxiety. It feels good to get that anger out, right? Does that make sense, right? So we behave yeah. in these ways in the top left-hand corner to get through it. And those are, it, they're negatively reinforcing our behavior. And because it's immediate, we do it more and more. But the problem is that as we do it, we're winning the battle, but losing the war because it might move us further and further away from what we, we very much value, right? In that bottom right-hand corner. So what's the secret? Well, cognitive behavioral therapists will say, change your thoughts to change your behavior, right? Fighters fear doing this and that, you know, well, you know, stop thinking that way. Think differently. Think about all the positive outcomes, right? And then, you know, behave differently. But, and, and there's some good research to support CBT. So there's not a knock on it, but this is just more of a, a behavioral approach, right? This is the science of human behavior. Cognitive behavioral therapy is not this based in the science of human behavior. This is. So what we say is be aware of your thoughts. Be aware that your thoughts and feelings, right? And bodily sensations are precursors to these types of behaviors, right? The behaviors that win the battle, but the lose of war, they move you away from, you know, what you really value, right? And instead of trying to change your thoughts and feelings, well, that's like wasting energy. That's like holding a ball underwater, right? And you're focused on that ball. What we want you to do is focus on the behaviors top right-hand corner now of the matrix, what behaviors you need to engage in that are going to move you closer to your values, right? So the whole thing is engage in the behaviors. You engage in those behaviors, it's going to produce value, valued outcomes for you. It's going to produce this reinforcement for you. And as you produce more reinforcers, right? Like that self-efficacy, the more you're successful, the more, the more you're having master experiences, the less likely you are to have this fear and anxiety, right? It's like a byproduct. The fear and anxiety starts to go down as you're getting in touch with more success or getting closer to your values. Does that make sense to everybody? 
Yeah. And yeah. so that's the first fight, man. The first fight for fighters and combat athletes is overcoming their self. And if you get stuck in that bottom left-hand corner and then engage in these behaviors, avoid it. And, you know, fighters will do all sorts of things, including perseverating on it, right? Just stuck up in their mind, this vicious loop. And it's like, this is not what we need to do. Be aware that you're stuck right now. Now that we're aware of it, now what do we need to do? We need to eat well. We need to train well. We need to go to camp. We need to watch videos, you know? Uh, we need to prepare the best we can. And we need to accept. It's like carrying the monkey on our back. You know, we need to spar. We need to spar using what I call prescriptive sparring, right? And the coach should arrange for all that stuff. But the, the more we do that, uh, regardless of that monkey in, in your back, the more likely we are to get in touch with our values. You're going to perform well. You know, you're going to be safer. Uh, we know we value being safe in there. You know, we value not being hurt. We don't want to get knocked out. You know, there are all these things that we value, but the trick is being aware of that and knowing in, in engaging in the right behavior. Does that make sense? Yeah, completely. Um, yeah. I'll pass it off to Justin. So, Paulie, something else that uh, I think it kind of builds off of what we were talking about earlier with practicing and developing uh, like skills is in your articles, you talk a lot about like deliberate practice and like finding the optimal zone of functioning. Um, you were saying that it's a very important for a coach to, to help the fighter find their optimal zone in training. Can you talk a little bit about like, first, how did you learn about like deliberate practice and the optimal zone of functioning? And then what sort of like biometrics and like performance metrics do you think are the most important for a coach to help their fighter find their optimal zone? Okay, so uh, first of all, I want to say that um, when when the optimal zone, I wrote this these articles with another guy, Dr. Alex Edmonds, who's been a mentor to me in many ways. He actually introduced me to deliberate practice uh, and op optimal zone of functioning. I, I wrote a book following understanding what deliberate practice was called deliberate coaching, right? So deliberate co uh, practice is about just in deliberately engaging in a skill with repetition, like being aware and thinking about it, like let's say an important skill, right? A, a, a fundamental skill uh, in uh, in any combat sport is turning your hips, right? We got to turn our hips when we kick and we have to punch, right? And understanding that piece of it. Um, and, uh, um, oh shoot, go back. Um, I was talking about uh, deliberate, right? Yes. So I need you to be aware of that, right? So you have to think about it at first, right? To make sure if I'm teaching you to pivot your back foot, right? I need you to think about pivoting that back foot and do it over and over and think about it. So not being lazy in, in your thoughts, right? And the more you think about it, the more you engage in the behavior. And in the future, the more it's going to become automatic, right? So you have to first think about those steps that you just learned when you're taught how to do a triangle, right? Step one, step two, step three. But the more you deliberately practice that, the more it becomes automatic, right? So what we're doing is building fluency. Um, that's the deliberate practice part. The optimal zone of functioning, here's what I can say about that. Now, I actually work with Dr. Edmonds. He and I uh, work with a, uh, with actually with Brad Pickett. Um, and what we did was so interesting, man. I, we still talk about publishing this. We broke down... I, we, we focus on like, say five combinations with him. Okay. Five combinations that I have him do in repetition. And we set up, it was five minute, uh, five minute rounds, five, five minute rounds. And we hooked him up to a, uh, uh, I forget what it was. It was, um, it's called a Zephyr and it, and it collected all sorts of, uh, biofeedback on him. heart rate, had accelerometer on it, you know, uh, all, all sorts of stuff. I can't really remember, but now, um, what we did was I could go back and I could see how stressed he was 
engaging in a certain uh, combination compared to others. Like I knew that this combination was really stressful on his body. His heart rate was higher. He was having a hard time with it. And what that tells me from a behavioral perspective is that he's not fluent in that skill, right? Because he's got to think about it some more. It's not coming automatic to them. And so he's not performing well using that skill. And so what would I do there? If I, it was an important skill and the skills that we chose were important, then I know we need to give him more repetition, in it, whether it be more deliberate practice with it, right? Create drills for them. Uh, we target it as what I call prescriptive sparring so that he's engaging like in maybe just a few skills while he's sparring and set up the set up so the opponent's not throwing all sorts of stuff at him, making sure that he has, that he has an opportunity to engage in these skills. So he's actually getting in some uh, contact with reinforcement for him. And this is how we make it so he's more fluent in those kind of behaviors. Now, as far as now going back to the op optimal zone of functioning, I wouldn't want to speak to that because that's out of my wheelhouse. That is uh, more uh, the, the, for sure, uh, Dr. Alex Edmonds. So uh, that's my guy, man. Maybe we'll have him on next time. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. I think Ricky, you have the next question. Yeah, so um, you know, for this particular podcast, we'd love to have you back on and, and Dr. Edmonds as well. Um, but I think we'll wrap up with this with this last question, Paulie. Um, I think you kind of touched on a little bit with some of the work you did with Dr. Edmonds, but um, some of the tools that you guys would use, um, you mentioned the Zephyr, but some of the maybe the tools that you you would use to train your fighters, some of the tools that maybe you'd use uh, in weight cutting. I know you mentioned the sauna, but was there anything anything else like, you know, technology-based that you would use to train and weight cut? Um, yeah, I mean, the Zephyr was a powerful one, man. You know, being able to really get some, uh, you know, almost real-time data, you know, see how the heart rate was performing, you know, uh, look at trends over time to see what's going on. You know, that was like really important. Uh, you know, but not to me that technology should be everywhere here's the technology that could be everywhere because it's it's inexpensive everybody can do it and that is everybody has a phone right everybody has video and if you break down if you if you target a couple skills as a fighter with your coach right you say okay here's what we're going to work on we're going to we're going to deliberately practice skill we're going to drill it right uh i'm going to create some prescriptive sparring for you now that you're, which is again just it's like a prescription, you know, we're just going to work on these couple things and then I'm going to get you to spar. Now, if you have your fighter go back and analyze it, break it down to intervals and see, let's say how many times that they were jabbing a certain jab, right? Or throwing a certain combo, right? And if we're trying to up the frequency or, you know, making sure that the pivoting the back foot when they throw the right hand, when the fighter has to go back and observe themselves under those conditions, it's literally like strength of the neural pathways. They have to think about it. They have to see when they're successful, when they're not successful, you know, maybe see what the antecedents are. Like, when did I throw that punch or when did I get hit? Oh, I notice I'm getting hit when I'm doing this thing and we worked on this and I need to do that. Just having a fighter observe themselves and not just watch themselves. They have to know specifically what they're looking at. I've I've worked with fighters in camp for like months. And then I said, we need to break this down, right? I need you to score yourself with that. The one scoring session when they saw that, oh my God, I got hit 25 times using this strategy. And you've been telling me to change that. But when I counted it, when I saw it for myself, it had a major impact on the likelihood that they would engage in the behavior next time. And so I've completely changed people's styles just using that simple technology. Yeah, that, so, does that make sense? Yep. No, it makes hundred percent sense. Yeah, scoring, self-scoring, right? Watching video of, of yeah, the people self, right? Uh, and so you can also use video to see yourself 
uh, and compare yourself to an expert, how you were performing next to the expert with a, a particular skill. So that becomes very powerful. So I'm a big fan of video in combat sports. There's so many people who just want to fight and they're tough. And, but if you look at almost every pro sport other than this, uh, at least team sports a lot, and I know this is an individual sport, but people are studying tape and they need mm -hmm. to study tape. They need to study, you know, patterns of their uh, opponents. They need to study themselves. They need to have targeted skills that they're working on in preparation for a particular fight. And this is going to, you know, increase the likelihood that they're going to produce a valued outcome for them. And also when you're watching video, it's like training. You know, but it's training without injuring yourself. So that's why I wrote with Alex these uh, these articles on, uh, you know, smart camps. It's like we need to train smarter in combat sport. There's a lot of people being hurt out there and, you know, they're doing a lot of damage to their body and it's unnecessary. We don't want them to train harder in most cases, not that they shouldn't train hard, but we want people to train smarter. And this is where I think technology can come in because they should have like a dashboard in front of them, Right. They're constantly seeing because they this way they know that if they're overtraining or undertraining. The coach can see, you know, if they're pushing themselves to, you know, their maximum heart rate and they can check to see how they're recovering, you know, and and make adjustments and tune their engines up and know if they're, you know, if there was technology, know that they're getting hit hit more or getting hit less. That immediate feedback becomes really powerful. For example, if I show somebody, if I'm trying to teach somebody to increase their power, right? How do they know that they increase their power? But if I had technology that says when you hit the bag by, and you turn your hip and pivot the back foot and they see like, man, I just increased my punching power by a hundred pounds per screw inch or, or however the measure is, you know, that's a powerful reinforcer. And it's going to increase the likelihood that people train that way and do that into a fight. So it's about getting people having a pinpointed behavior, having some sort of metric, right? Having some sort of feedback that gives that metric to the fighter and to the coach. And it's about the reinforcer is the outcome, right? That feedback, is it reinforcing to them or does it mean they need to change something? Does that make sense? Yeah, hundred percent sense. And um, no, I appreciate you saying that. Cause that's, you know, where we want to pivot our next conversation. Um, uh, you know, if we're lucky enough to have you as a guest again, um, you know, the smart training camp uh, articles were really exciting to me. I love those. Um, and, you know, it helped, you know, sharpen and refine some of my thoughts on what we're building. And um, yeah, you touched on it, that all, all the things that you mentioned are things that we're trying to build. And obviously, you know, you've been privy to what we're building and our technology and a lot of ideas. So, um, you know, you're speaking my language uh, with what you just said. So um, with that being said, you know, unless uh, Justin, Sean, Raul, you guys had anything else before we wrap up, um, anything you wanted to ask or say before we uh, close out for this episode? Thank you for being our first guest. My pleasure, fellows. I, I believe in what you're doing. I think it's very important uh, for many reasons. And I think, uh, you know, if you can, if I were you, once you have it, you know, you really just, you need a fighter, right? And a coach to use it, produce the valued outcomes, you know, and then you just blast that everywhere. I think, you know, I think what you guys are pursuing is a very need, not just in combat sports, but anywhere, but like combat sports is in the dark ages. So um, I would suggest to anybody that's listening, if you guys uh, want, you should probably drop some of those articles in the show notes uh, when you, you know, when you, when you post this, uh, you know, so they have something to reference. Yeah. And with that being said as well, um, you know, we wanted to, uh, we introduced you to our audience. We also wanted to know, let them know where they could find you, let them know, uh, you know, about some of your, your books and everything, where they can get that and um, how they can connect with you. 
Yeah, if you can, maybe you just drop the best way to get me on LinkedIn. I have you know a lot of connections there. Um, so if you can drop that in there, you can follow me at on uh, Instagram at Dr. Pauly Gloves. If you can drop that link in there as well. I mean, all my books are on Amazon. Um, I have, uh, you know, this is if you you, know, you want to see the science at work, there's the MMA science book. Uh, we actually created a whole belt ranking approach uh, for, uh, you know, for gyms, you know, where it's actually measurable. It's not just subjective based on somebody's opinion. You can actually score whether somebody achieved the belt or not. Um, you know, so we, again, it's just a basic application of signs for, uh, for coaching and, or self-coaching, right. Getting people to, you know, understand how their own performance works. So all my stuff is on Amazon, just Google my name on Amazon. And uh, if you like leadership, if you like coaching, uh, if you like education, I do a lot of stuff in education. There's that on LinkedIn. I have over a hundred articles. I have a YouTube channel. If you can drop that in there as well, it's called heart and science. And, uh, yeah, man, I'm available for, I do remote coaching with people. And, you know, again, this is an organization, executive coaching. Uh, I have a, a colleague, um, Anika Costa and I, and we go in and we help uh, organizations, uh, you know, do assessment, use some organizational behavior management stuff to help them improve. So, uh, you know, if that sounds interesting to you, I do talks, keynote talks on leadership and coaching as what I excel at. So, you know, if you're interested, holler at me. For sure. Um Again, thank you for your time. We look forward to, uh, you know, we had a, a bunch of other questions we want to ask you, but uh, you gave us so much information, wealth of information and these answers. We're unable to get to them. But um, yeah, if you guys look, you know, enjoyed this podcast, um, you know, uh, look forward to the uh, next one. We'll be blasting it out. And uh, yeah, we'll get him back on again and uh, we'll get into even more really, really cool stuff. So that being said, um, for Raul, for Sean, Justin, Paulie, uh, I'd like to thank you guys for joining us today and uh, hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your evening and happy holidays to everybody. Thanks for having me, fellas. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.